Thank you, Lord, that that slide is up there. We had some interesting technological challenges. I was afraid I was going to wing it. So this should help you make sense of what I'm saying. I guess this should also. I need an extra ear to do this nowadays. All right. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to see you again. You are such a gift to me, and I thank God. You know, Paul in Philippians says, every time I think of you, I thank God. Well, yeah. Every time I think of you, I thank God. Sean, uh, our pastor, asked me to talk about the Trinity Global Outreach Focus for 2022, which is, as you can see, plant. And so I'm happy to do that because, uh, at least for the last 25 years, I've been sort of out there, mostly equipping people to plant because they're better planters than I am. And uh, so this is really close to my heart. This has defined me and my life and I couldn't be happier. Luckiest guy in the world. I'm sorry the rest of you didn't get to go to Africa and tromp around in the slums, but uh, it's good. Doesn't get any better than this. Let me give you a, just a quick update on what uh, has happened in my world for the last several months since I was with you before. I did get back to Africa. Yeah! That had been so long because of pandemic stuff, and I won't go into that, but I was in Rwanda just before Christmas, and there was a group of about 40 pastors, and we studied the Gospel of Luke together, and uh, it was amazing. I am so grateful. Uh, I had to book it back a little early because uh, that new wave of the pandemic started swirling up from the south of Africa, but... God did some good things in these pastors, and I'm, again, so happy to have a part in it. Um, <clears throat> I got an email, oh, those are the guys, the men, and one woman. Uh, so that was the group, and we studied together and prayed together and worshiped together, and amazing brothers from that part of northwest Rwanda. I got an email this week that said uh, that there's a new church coming up in Juba, which is the capital of South Sudan, which is where Dominic and Rejoice Oluru lead this church planting movement. Now, this is not a new church plant. You remember that twice now, their church, their house of prayer, as they call it, has been demolished. But they haven't given up. And so just this week, they started building a new one. So that's what it, pretty much, that's pretty much it. It's just about done there. But please pray for them that, um, <clears throat> as they've had to move to a little different area, that new people will be drawn to the gospel as this church worships and reaches out. And uh, yeah, since I last saw you, I actually did uh, get this little book thing done, which is, uh, it's been a long slog, you know, I can't tell you how long I've been working on it. But there it is, and I'm happy to announce that my grandson thinks it's fabulous, <laughs> just if you needed to hear that. The movie rights have not been sold yet, but actually we're praying, Mark and I, that the Holy Spirit can make something of it. 
you know what came to my mind when we finally launched this thing was that little boy in the gospel who has a bag lunch with almost nothing in it and a huge need, but he says, oh, here, Jesus, can you do anything with this? So as we sent this manuscript off to the publishers, that's kind of how we prayed. Jesus, can you do anything with this? We're praying it falls into the hands of the right people. The Spirit drives it here. I'm going to Baltimore another week where a group of uh, church leaders in an inner city church in Baltimore has said, we're going to read this together. And we want you to come and help us think about it and apply it to our place. So that's the kind of response we're really praying for. Um, that leadership will take hold of it, study it, be a great study for your uh, small group, by the way. Anyhow, enough uh, marketing here. This morning, Trinity's global outreach focus for the year. Now, since it's so cold out, you people are probably regulars, you know. (laughs) But, you know, Trinity has an amazing history of outreach, global outreach, missions, If you've not really connected with that, this is in the lobby out there, and it explains Trinity's focus and emphasis, and this has been one of the distinguishing core values of this local church way before me even, from its founding. It was founded to send gospel missionaries. So glory to God for that. And so the team that is behind the scenes, I don't think you team guys ever come up here very much. You should, so people know you. You won't do it, will you, Cherie? (laughs) But they're doing amazing things for us, those of us that are out somewhere in the world doing this. So they've determined that this year we're going to focus on plants. So let's talk about that for a little bit this morning. Planting, seeing the gospel planted throughout the world. Um, That's literally how you plant, right? But this is a metaphor. Um, It's a metaphor that comes to us from Jesus and that Paul picks up on. Um, There are other metaphors, you know, sometimes it's shining the light. We sang about shining the light. That's a metaphor that means the same thing as planting the seed. It's an excellent metaphor. comes from Jesus, of course it is, because it talks about communication of the good news, good news about God's love, good news about an invitation to eternal life. So when we use the metaphor plant, that's really where we're going with it. And um, again, I said it came from Jesus, and some of you can think of some parables where Jesus talked about planting. There's a famous one recorded in Mark 4 about a sower going out to sow seed. And you know the thing about that, I found this quote, it's like the wild sower. And that guy really in the story is not, you know, he's not a scientific farmer. It sounds like he's just throwing seed. Huh? That's how God does it. Like a wild sower, God is recklessly generous. He scatters seed everywhere including where there's little chance of bearing fruit. Like the different soils, we vary in our receptivity. But God keeps loving, generously sharing. So that's plant. That's what we're talking about here. And you know why it's such a great metaphor? 
Because the seed contains life, doesn't it? It doesn't look like much. Little seeds, you know, sometimes. Can't even tell if they're a real thing or not. But in there is life. And remember that. That's why this is so powerful. Because sometimes if you just mention Jesus or even just, you know, study your Bible at lunch break or something, it doesn't look like you're doing a really big thing. But you're planting a seed. And in the seed is life. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So, let's think about some truths about planting. I'm going to ask Paul about planting because he used it to define who he was. And the first thing I want you to realize is a great planter is 100% aware that God is the one who makes things grow. That can be so liberating. You see, the pressure's not on you. God's the one that makes stuff grow. Paul defines himself as a planter in 1 Corinthians 3. And uh, that was a situation in Corinth where there were uh, personality cults, if you will, groupies who each had their favorite preacher, their favorite evangelist. And, oh, no, this guy's more God. Oh, no, this guy really preaches the world. So they were fighting amongst themselves about their favorite evangelist or pastor or teacher, which Paul says is stupid. And here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 3. What? Back up the beginning of it's on that other slide. There it is. What, after all, is Apollos? That was the other guy that people loved. And what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord assigned to each his task. Remember that phrase. God has an assignment. I planted the seed. Oh, there's our metaphor. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So if anything happens as a result of our feeble attempts to talk about Jesus, to talk about what he's done in our lives. That's a God thing. And that's pretty cool that you can be part of that. The rest of this statement in 1 Corinthians 3, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. We are God's co-workers in God's service. You, that's a you plural, by the way. That's a church he's talking to. You're God's field. You're God's building. You see how this works? This is God's thing. And we get a little part of it. That's way cool. Here's a second truth about planting. A great planter is eager to tell the story to people who have not yet had an opportunity to receive the gospel. That's why some of us are fortunate to be assigned to go to some weird place where the gospel is just beginning to penetrate. But you know, don't dismiss this statement as like, well, you know, I I live here in Nashville. I don't plan to go anywhere. Because around you, if you have eyes to see, 
There are unreached people. There are social groupings of people where the gospel never really has penetrated. So pray for discernment. Pray for Africa, but pray for Nashua and Hollis and Hudson and this region of southern New Hampshire because people here haven't heard, strangely enough. Huh? At the end of Romans, Paul gets real personal and he's planning to come to Rome, but he doesn't really just want to visit Rome because there are Christians in Rome. Paul says, I'd like to stop by Rome on the way to the far west, to Spain, because nobody in Spain has heard the gospel. So he's writing about that, and at the end of the, Ro the book of Romans, he writes this. Oh, again, i got to read that stuff on the previous one. Yeah. We have this, nope, further back. That went forwards. Yeah, here's Paul. This is from Romans. Looking back over what has been accomplished and what I have observed, I must say I am most pleased in the context of Jesus. I'd even say proud, but only in that context. I have no interest in giving you a chatty account of my adventure. Only the wondrously powerful and transforming present words and deeds of Christ in me that have triggered a believing response among the outsiders. Now, that's a really complicated sentence. But the pieces are very cool. Because he's saying that I went out there and I talked about Jesus. That was my assignment. I knew my goal. My goal was to go to Gentiles and to go to places that nobody had been. So I was doing my thing. But while I was doing that, God was working within me. And he said, I am just so thrilled about that. Because I gave these words, they were at one level human words, but they were wondrously powerful and transforming because they were the words of Christ in me. And those words triggered a believing response. Just like planting a seed triggers life. Wow. Now this isn't just for big shot apostles. Okay? Your words, when they are the words of the gospel, when they are your witness about Jesus, doesn't have to be uh, profound, doesn't have to be scholarly, you don't have to memorize verses, that's always good. But when you speak truthfully about your own life in Christ, power of God. So that's the second truth about uh, planting. Here's another one. Oh, yeah, we're not going to read all that. Time's going. show that this all-surpassing power from God, not from us, we are hard-pressed on every side. 
not crushed. We're perplexed. Yeah. No problem. See if I can, whoo, whoa. Be ready now. Now I sound like a good African evangelist. In the name of Jesus. Huh? That's what you came to hear, right? We're hard-pressed on every side. You see, this is persecution. When your mic goes out, suffering for Jesus. This is bad. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body, physical life, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, the evangelist, but life is at work in you. And that's what makes that statement so cool. Paul says, I know what I'm doing has the potential the power to bring life, eternal life, to other people. And so, we're doing this. Yeah, it'll be hard. That's fine. Can I tell you a story? Actually, there's one more slide. See, this, this visual is cool, isn't it? Because it says your seed, again, is like, it's not a big deal, but it has the potential to bring life. So I want to tell you about a hero, a planter. He's a hero, but he's not a celebrity. And by the way, that is a really important distinction. You can be a celebrity in our culture just by being a celebrity. You don't have to do anything. There doesn't have to be anything noble or honorable or bold or courageous. Just got to get enough TV time, I guess. But heroes, really different. And you might not actually recognize them, but this is a hero. His name is Stanlas Dambuki. And some of you prayed for Stanlas, and some of you have given money to help him build stuff. And uh, I, I just want to remind you, because this is a planter. And, and you need to hear the stories of the heroes of our movement. So just let me take a few minutes and tell you about Stanlis. I first taught him in 1991 at Scott Theological College. That was my very first time in Africa. We were way out in a real place. And there was this young guy studying the Bible because he thought he was going to be a pastor. And um, God wove our lives together somehow. I remember once we went out evangelizing in the bush, like really out there, mud huts and all that stuff. I was going to call it door to door, but nobody had doors. But we went out to share Christ. And I noticed something about this young man at that point. By the way, he has a wife. Those are his daughters. That's his wife and his youngest daughter. So that's Judy. And she and he are partners in the gospel. And they've worked side by side for as long as I've known them. So if you fast forward to 1999, I was a pretty new missionary at Next, 
in Nairobi, Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology, and Stanlos came to do his master's degree at that school. So I taught him early, I taught him again. Wow, I'm a lucky guy. So he wasn't the best student, by the way. He was a good guy, passionate guy. And I was happy to become a friend of his. And one day, um, he and a friend invited me for a a warm Coca-Cola. It's the only kind you get over there is warm Coke. And they shared with me that they had a vision, a vision that God was calling them to the slums of Nairobi. Now, John's been in the slums. Carolee's probably been in the slums. It's really almost hard to imagine um, these settlements around the, the edges of capital cities in Africa. Millions and millions of people are drawn into these uh, informal settlements is the polite name. Africans just call them slums. And they're hoping to get a good job. And in that particular slum, a million people live, and they live on average on $2 a day. So it's a place of desperation. There's no toilets. The houses are little tin shacks. Uh, no electricity. Uh, you got to buy water. Imagine trying to control the pandemic in the slum. Anyhow, this is on Stanlos's heart to lead the movement in the slums that will bring people to Christ, that will plant seeds. He uh, was discipling a group of young men who were going to be around him, and uh, they invited me to join them. <laughs> like, what? I'm a new guy here. I don't, I'm a white guy. What? Why? Why? Anyhow, I prayed about that, and God said, yeah, walk with these people. Now, that was very tricky because uh, a white face in the slums can do all kinds of weird stuff. You know, one assumption being, oh, there's a white guy there. He's got a lot of money. And all of a sudden, the church is not local. It's not owned. It's not embraced in the community because there's an outsider driving it. So I was uh, sort of tiptoeing around seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit on how much involvement and in what way. I was kind of a, well, I was an elder because I was older than them, and uh, a coach, a cheerleader. And so they launched it, and it was called Africa Inland Church. That's a big denomination. And Huruma is the name of the slum where this thing started out. We started small in a little room, Uh, The seed is planting, the seed is planting, and it's growing. Pastor Stanlos proved to be a man of great integrity. There's a little picture of the church, uh, not the first week, but within a couple of months. And they were learning the Word of God. They're learning the Word of God. And, uh, you know, my respect for this guy went sky high because he could have chosen a, you know, a cushy job, if you will. He could have gone back to his tribal area outside this big city. He was a respected emerging Christian leader, and so he could have had a nice-sized church out there in the village and had his land and had his farms and uh, gained a lot of respect. But he knew God was calling him into this place with so much evil, with so many needs. One of the amazing things, by the way, about AIC Huruma is 
it had people from many different tribes. That's very unusual in Africa. Probably doesn't sound as weird to us, but it was extraordinary there that there were people from different ethnic backgrounds all worshiping Jesus in one church. And that by itself was very powerful witness. Now, this church through, went through so, so, so many ups and downs and troubles. If I had an hour, I couldn't even cover them all. Uh, in a sense, it started over several times after various disasters coming from different directions tried to squash it. The devil hated AIC Huruma and Pastor Stanlos. But he hung in there. He was strong. It's kind of like Paul in that First Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians 4 passage. We are broken down and we are getting slammed, but we are not quitting. And I love that about him. I love that about him. Um, they finally continued to grow and wanted their own building. And they actually got a building. It's way back at the end of that alley where those two young men are standing. So... We did get a building, and I think some of you actually probably helped pay for it. I wouldn't be surprised because you've had a heart for this for a very long time. Um, let's see what... Oh, yeah, there's the building. Nice, huh? We were quite happy with it, really. I'm going to show you a picture of the inside. There's the worship service. In a minute, I'm going to try to show it to help you... I mean, to allow you to listen for just a second to the joyful worship that goes on in there. Um, but that's the worship in the new building of AIC Huruma, the third building. There's actually a white guy standing in the front. Sort of sticks out, doesn't he? <laughs> you know who that is? It's Pastor Steve Murray. Pastor Steve actually preached in this church one Sunday, which was way cool. Anyhow, two thousand eight in Kenya was horrible. It was a stolen election. There was rioting and violence that was just uncontrolled and horrible. People were chopping each other up with machetes. It went on for about four months. Huruma, this area of the slums, was one of the epicenters because there were different tribal groups and the violence was all one tribe on the other tribe. Actually, something very similar to that took place right outside the church's building. And Stanlis came out of a prayer meeting and saw a man about to be chopped to death with machetes. And he intervened. So he literally saved that man's life physically. And then he was able to offer Christ to him. So this is the kind of work that a real hero, a real planter, gets to do for the kingdom of God. After about four months, the slums went back to sort of normal. Yeah, see, that's trying to get from one side to the other. This is normal, though. So normal life in the slums. And can we play that video for a second? So this is after church. So I'm thinking if we move these chairs over here against the wall 
and we get Margo at the piano that I think I think this will catch on, don't you? You, you in? <laughs> and a few volunteers. This is what you mean, what Scripture means when it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, lots more to tell you, but let me ask this question. Oh, yeah, you've seen this one before, haven't you? This is the church door marked with an X by the city council. It's going to be destroyed. We prayed through that trauma. And uh, that wonderful building that we just watched, it actually was destroyed. Here comes the destruction, and then the next slide is the building sort of lying desolate now. But it didn't stop the church. You see, that's the cool thing. You can wreck a building. But the church remained vibrant. And the seed that was planted was bearing fruit. So that's why I call this guy a hero. He and his wife, Judy, and those are their kids. And they picked up a few extra kids because some of their relatives died of AIDS. So now they have a big family. And they're faithful to the calling. And that's a hero. And so I asked the question, why would this courageous Kenyan brother risk so much? He doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to be this hard. What is it in him? And I think he would say what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died... And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Believe if you said to Stanlas, why did you choose this path? Why did you choose to plant your seed here? He'd say, it's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. Is it worth it? This guy an idiot? Why did he choose the easy way? Again from Paul, 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's the perspective of a planter who knows his assignment, compelled by the love of Christ planting seed among people that have never heard. So, you, use, you have an assignment. Most of you won't be fortunate enough to plant in the Nairobi slums. But God has a call to you to be part of this global gardening project. He will show you what it is if you ask. And 
never, never underestimate the powerful impact of prayer. For some of you, your assignment is to pray. Is to pray for Stanlos, is to pray for the other global missionaries, is to pray for local communities here. So don't say, oh, I don't know what I'll do. I guess I'll, I, nothing else I can do. I guess I'll pray. <laughs> do not ever say that. The global missions team here has an assignment to facilitate Trinity's outreach. That's cool. Some of you have an assignment in your workplace. Some of you have an assignment in a playgroup with kids. I don't know your situation, but I know that God wants you to be a planter where he has planted you. And here's the truth. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed. So that's what you're doing. That's kingdom stuff when you're sharing your testimony. And it's very cool. And here's the reality. I think there's one more slide there, maybe. Oh, yeah. Remember, it's a team effort. You don't have to do it all. We already said that. There is incredible joy. Incredible joy in discovering that God has channeled his power and grace through you. That your words or actions have made an eternal impact another person. You can do that through the Holy Spirit. Do not miss that opportunity. Amen. This morning, we have uh, an opportunity to share Holy Communion. And the worship team is going to guide us in that direction with a song of worship. And then I will guide you into uh, the communion experience. I hope all of you were able to pick up a little... Uh